It's really good to see you here today. If you're a visitor with us today, we just want to say thanks for being here. I know that there's a, a lot of things that you could be doing this week, and we're really glad that you took a, a Sunday morning to come and to worship with us. Wasn't that song, I know we sang it a lot, but wasn't that song, Christ Alone, Cornerstone? Wasn't that an awesome song? The message of that, that the weak are made strong in the Savior's love. What an incredible thought. You know that we don't have to strengthen ourselves. We don't have to do it all on ourselves. It's, it, it's Christ's strength is made perfect, the Scripture says, in our weakness. What an incredible thing that God is doing in the hearts and the lives of those people who will simply allow him to have his way inside of them. And I pray that that'll be your heart, your purpose. That God, I just want you to have your way in my life and speak to me and give him the opportunity to work inside of you. We've been doing a series. We've been talking about we're the church. This week, we're talking we're the church and he's coming for us. We're the church and he's coming for us. And it's actually part two. But if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, it would be difficult to speak about evangelism. It'd be difficult to speak about evangelism without talking about the coming of the Lord. Because throughout time, from the very beginning, the New Testament church expected Jesus to return in their lifetime. This expectation of Jesus's return has had a way of filling up people. When we talk about the coming of the Lord, there's something about that that ignites a passion in people's hearts. Now, here's the challenge that we face. The challenge that we face is that if any of you grew up in the church, I grew up in the church and Part of our fellowship is this. They always preached salvation, the infilling of the Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and the soon return, healing, and the soon return of Jesus Christ. The thing that you would, they would say, the imminent return of Jesus Christ, which means this, that at any moment or any day, Jesus can come back and catch up his church. With that, the challenge was this. If you grew up in church like I did, when you'd come home and get off the bus, my mom was always at home. Mom was a stay-at-home mom. And so if I came home and got off the bus and mom wasn't there, I knock on the door and mom doesn't come to the door. The door's locked. I'd begin to think that maybe Jesus came and left me. And so if I knocked on the door and if, if the door was locked, you know, I'm like, wait a minute. And I can't get in the house. Mom's not coming. I would run downstairs. There was always relief on my heart when I would look in the garage door window. And if the car was there, I was scared worse. If the car was gone, I was saying, oh, okay, mom might be at the grocery store. She might be out shopping. She didn't tell me she was gone anywhere. But if the car was there and mom did not answer the door before long, I always thought that maybe Jesus returned and left this old turkey here. One of the challenges with that is it put this sense of fear in our hearts. But as followers of Jesus, we should be excited about the coming of the Lord. That's our blessed hope. That's our hope that someday Jesus is coming back for his church. With that, but there was this thing that Jesus could come back at any moment. But after you keep telling me he's coming back, I remember in 1970, I think it was 75 or it was 75 or 76 It might have been 75. I remember a a preacher at our church, an evangelist who came in, and he preached with such zeal and with passion. And he said, you know, no man knows the day nor the hour. But there's a lot of things pointing. 
to Jesus coming back this year in 76. And I remember thinking 1976 went by and Jesus didn't come back. And I was kind of, I guess I'm okay. Cause I wasn't sure if he was going to take me then. So it puts this, there's this delay in his coming and it kind of throws us off of our game. Cause if you tell me he's coming, I'm expecting. And then when he doesn't show up, then I start to kind of get a little frustrated and say, well, why am I doing all of this? Why am I? And so it's confusing to a lot of people this coming of the Lord and this both delay and the imminence of his return. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, I'm going to tell you, the New Testament church believed that Jesus was coming back. There was a rumor that John, that John would, the apostle John would be alive at the coming of the Lord because of some things that Jesus said to Peter. He tells Peter, this is what's going to happen. When you were young, you dressed yourself. When you get old, someone's going to lead you by hand. And Peter's, well, what about John? And he says, well, if I let him stay till I come, what's that to you? And so people thought that that meant that John was literally going to be alive whenever Jesus came. First John chapter two, verse 18, excuse me. It says, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. In second Peter chapter three, verse nine, it says that the Lord is not slow and keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the tension between these extremes, the imminent return of Jesus Christ, and the delay in his coming, is broken by the reality of the fact that Jesus' coming is going to be sudden. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 44, So you also must be ready, Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him, Jesus said. Also, this is just a little bit of background before we get to our text. Jesus starts his ministry preaching this simple message. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. His disciples who were listening to him, his followers who were coming after him, they have this idea of what his kingdom is going to be like. And they're expecting the end of the age, okay? Apocalyptic type ending, okay? And they're expecting this and they're, tell us what your kingdom is going to be like and what's going to be the sign of this. And you would think that Jesus would sit down and explain to them, well, we have a six-week plan. We have a six-month plan. On month number 24, this is going to be happening. And I'm going to have this. Jesus doesn't do that. But what he does do, he explains to them in the portions of Scripture, it's known as the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24 and verses 25. And he answers his disciples and he talks to them about the signs that will be taking place at his coming. In verses 3 through 14, there's seven different signs that are mentioned. And we're going to go through them one by one. I'll just tell you real quickly and you, if you're taking notes. The first one will be deception. The second one will be worldwide birth pains. The third one will be persecution. The fourth one will be a falling away. The fifth one will be people will see false prophets. The sixth one will be wickedness. And the seventh sign will be worldwide evangelism. In Matthew chapter 24, let's go ahead and turn there. Let's read verse 4 and 5 to start with. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ and will do what? And will deceive many, the scripture says. So the first sign of the Lord's coming is this, that there's going to be a great deception. 
as we move closer and closer to the end, religious deception will be widespread, affecting people everywhere. People will be out of control spiritually, chasing whatever it is that makes them feel good. There's going to be crazy people who are going to rise up and who are going to tell people stuff that's just nuts. And people are going to follow it. You ever see the penguins? You ever see the penguins walking and one just follows another down the thing? That's what's going to be happening in the last days. People are going to rise up and they're going to deceive many. And people are just going to follow them along, listening to whatever they say, believing whatever it is that they teach. Jesus was so concerned that his followers be prepared for the spiritual deception to come upon the world, that he repeats this warning two more times. In verse 11, he says, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Okay? So Jesus tells them a second time. He says, many false prophets are going to rise up and they're going to deceive many people. Then later on in verse 24, he says, false Christ and false prophets will appear. And listen to what he says they'll do. And perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. Let me ask you a simple question today. Is religious deception on the increase in our world? Absolutely it is. People are hungry. Listen to me. There's people out there who are desperately hungry, seeking for God. All around us, where you work, I promise you that there's men and women who are desperately seeking for answers to this life. They're trying to find a purpose. They're trying to find meaning to this life. And in the midst of their hunger and their thirst, Satan inspires those who are his messengers to rise up and to deceive many. They're not sent from God. They're sent from the enemy, meant to deceive and to be treacherous towards those who are honestly seeking after God. If you've not noticed that religious deception, spiritual deception is on the increase, false teasing is on the increase, you need to pull your your head out of the sand and wake up, lest you too be deceived. Here's what we're saying. I'm not saying, well, we believe pre-trib, we believe post-trib. We're not talking about the little nuances where you and that where us and our brothers and sisters in Christ have a different opinion on matters that really don't matter. Okay? God's going to sort a lot of those things out. You know what? The kingdom of God is much bigger than any single church or any single denomination or any single particular theological bent. Okay? We're not talking about these minor differences where, you know what, it really don't matter. God's about saving people. And churches have been divided for centuries over minor theological differences. We're not talking about that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than we first believed. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, the Message Bible puts it this way. Unscrupulous con men will continue to exploit the faith. They're as deceived as the people they lead astray. And as long as they are out there, things can only get worse. The George Barna group, they do surveys and statistics and things like that. They've uncovered some ways that people in the church are being deceived today. This was written a number of years ago in an article entitled, America's Draw Theological Beliefs from a Diverse Points of View. 
Just a few of them. 59% of them do not believe in Satan. 51 believe praying to dead saints is beneficial. 35% believe you can communicate with the dead. 50% believe salvation is earned, not a gift. Well, there goes all grace out the window. 75 believe people are born neither good nor evil. They make a choice between the two as they mature. 44% believe that the Bible, the Koran, and the Book of Mormon are all different expressions of the same truth. 54% believe truth can only be discovered through logic, human reasoning, and personal experience. Not only do a majority of Americans not accept God's word as the authority on truth, increasingly more and more have beliefs that directly contradict what the scripture says. And here is the real problem. The real problem is that standing in pulpits across America, preaching some form of a gospel, but not the gospel of Jesus Christ. All across America, there's churches that are filled with pastors who don't even believe that Jesus is truly the Son of God. There's churches where what it's become is it has become a job. They've abandoned, the scripture talks about it, that they've abandoned the faith and they've left behind the truth that the only way that I can come to God is through Jesus Christ. There's not a million of ways to, to come to God. Jesus says, Jesus is very straightforward. He says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus makes that statement. And so all across America, there's churches that their pulpits are filled with pastors who don't believe this word anymore, who don't preach this word anymore, who do not say that sin will keep you from God. You can't, listen to me, you cannot continue willfully to live in disobedience to God's commands and not have it affect your relationship with God. Now, I don't know when that time comes. Okay, but there's a lot of people you would not be, I'm not saying you, they would not be comfortable in heaven because that's not what their spirit's about. They do not want to. They don't want to follow the patterns of God. And so there's pastors who will tell you that you can live any way that you want. You can do anything that you want. And Jesus loves us. I'm going to tell you what, he loves us so much he died for us. He paid the price for your sin, but he does require of us to take up our cross and to follow him. If you don't do that, he says, you can't be my disciple. In America today, there's churches and religious organizations that are being led by men and women who do not believe the scripture themselves. Along with that, sitting in our churches, there's many people who say they're Christians, but they don't believe what his word says any longer. Don't be deceived, my friend. The second thing is worldwide birth pains. Matthew 24 verse 6 says this, It says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Jesus points to a sign of worldwide tragedies and disasters. And he says, these are the beginnings of birth pains. Here's the point. The pain of giving birth is great, but the joy that follows birth is equally great. 
The worldwide birth pains that lead up to the return of Christ is great. However, the joy for those who are expecting the return of Jesus Christ is going to be even much greater. Turn on the news and you will see the beginnings of birth pains that are leading up to Christ's return. Events taking place around the world are not happening by accident. Sometimes we get a little upset or nervous because we say, well, I don't like the, you know, and I say that myself. I don't like the way that our, the, some, some things are going in our country. I don't like some of the choices that our government makes. I don't like some of the decisions of the Supreme Court. But I want to tell you something. God has not been knocked off of his throne because of some judge, Supreme Court justice, or because of some politician. He is still Lord of all. He is still sovereign. He still establishes man's days. And he still has a plan. And he's at work. All of these things that are taking place around us are just the signs of his soon return. So for us, when you see these things begin to take place, lift up your heads. For your redemption draweth nigh. Okay? When you see these things, don't get discouraged. If you watch Fox News too much. And I, if I looked around this room, I'd probably see quite a few Fox News people. If you watch Fox News too much, it'll work on you. You start getting a little overwhelmed. When you see the things that are taking place in the government, there's a tendency for us to get worked up and to be anxious about that. When those things begin to take place, we just need to know that those are signs that my Jesus is coming back for his church. And, and the word says that he's coming back for a glorious church, a church without spot or wrinkle. So no matter what a politician does, no matter what a Supreme Court justice does, no matter what ISIS does, no matter what someone else does, and the crazy stuff that's taking place around our world, we can just know it's coming. The soon return of Jesus is drawing near, and these are simply signs for us. While we sense the Savior's return is drawing nearer, we also sense a delay. Because I've heard these things before. I heard pastors preach it. I heard evangelists speak it. But my friend, God has set a day. He has set a time in his divine calendar, and he will not miss it. And the scripture tells us that Jesus will come suddenly. The apostle Paul described it like this. It says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. The third thing that we see is found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 9. That's persecution. And he says this, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Jesus told his disciples plainly in John chapter 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, keep in mind that they hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Persecution is real and it's on the rise, my friend. People are being put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. And we think it's something new. From the beginning of the church, the church has faced persecution. In America, we've lived in freedom. In America, we've been sheltered in many ways. But all around the world, my friends, brothers and sisters who follow Jesus Christ have either had to deny their faith or have their homes taken from them. They've either had to deny their faith or have people take away their jobs or take away from them financially to deny their faith or actually give up their life for Jesus Christ. 
It's happened all around the world for centuries and centuries. From the time of the New Testament church till now. Men and women have been persecuted. They have suffered for the cause of Christ. And this suffering is a sign that the end is coming. The important thing for us all to remember is that whether we face death or simply being made fun of, God will give us the grace that we need to stand up and to endure persecution. It used to be, here again, I don't want to sound like an old timer, but I guess I'm getting that way. It used to be that the Judeo-Christian values that our nation was established upon were well thought of. I don't know if you've seen the shift in our society. You'll notice things such as, I noticed in the Lancaster newspaper, and I'd heard people speaking about this. James Dobson spoke about these things. I wouldn't necessarily think of James Dobson as being a prophet, and yet he spoke about these things 30 years ago on his radio program. He talked about these things. The fight in our society, things such as gay marriage. I noticed the day after justices made that the law of the land, there was an article in the Lancaster newspaper, and in the Lancaster newspaper, it talked about school funding and not having money. This article wrote about all of the nonprofit organizations that would be like if they would pay their, quote, fair share of taxes. Along with that, in that article, it also said of how if churches do not go along, if they don't agree with the gay marriage thing, there's this thing of what if they paid their fair share of taxes? And so you see those things beginning the very day afterwards. So you see those things beginning to line up. And, And here's the thing. If the only thing we have to do is pay taxes, we'll be fine. God always provides for his people. He takes care of his people. We're not facing the things that many in the world, but we do not know the challenges that we will face that others have faced. But here's the verse. Matthew 24, verse 13 says this. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. God will keep you if you stand firm. You can be certain that you will never face persecution alone, that he'll always be with you giving the grace that you need to overcome. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, that's why I'm suffering as I am, yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I've believed him and convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Why does he write that? He writes that because he knows that as he's facing difficulties and persecution, that there's others who when they face those difficulties and the persecution, they're going to give up their faith. They're going to abandon their faith. They're going to say following Jesus is too hard. And he doesn't want them to do that. And that leads us to our next point in Matthew 24, verse 10. It talks about a falling away. In Matthew 24, verse 10, it says, At that time, many will turn away from their faith and will betray and hate each other. Do you see it happening today? Those who once walked with the Lord begin to say this, they become disillusioned and they say it's too hard. I hear that again and again. It's too hard. It's too difficult. In Luke chapter 18, verse 8, it says this, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Fortunately, while many turn away from Christ, God has promised that there will always be a remnant who would believe. I want to be a part of that number who remain faithful. I don't want to let the trials of this life and the difficulties of this life and the things I don't understand. How many of you know people who one time walked with the Lord and things didn't go their way? They faced hardships, they faced difficulties, and for one reason or another, then they made the decision that they abandoned their faith. They walked away 
from what they believed. Zechariah chapter 13 verse 8 says, Two-thirds of the people in the land will be cut off and die, says the Lord, but a third will be left in the land. I will bring that group through the fire and make them pure, just as gold and silver are refined and purified by fire. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, these are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. Though you are going through the fire, my friend, know this, that God is refining you. You will not be left in the fire alone. If you allow God, there will be a fourth man in that fiery furnace, and it'll be the Lord Jesus Christ. He shows up, and this is what he does. He brings people who put their trust and their faith in him through the fire, refines them, burns off the dross, and when they come out, they don't even smell like smoke. That's what our God is able to do today for you and for me. We who remain in him will be purified to be like Christ, and he'll call us his children. And he will be our God. So we've seen these things. We've seen deception, worldwide birth pains, persecution, falling away. Number five, false prophets. In Matthew 24, verse 11, it says this. And many false prophets. Well, how many? What does it say? Many. It's not going to be one or two. It says many false prophets will appear and what? And deceive what? Many. What's many mean? It means a lot. If I say there's many, you're thinking that's not just one or two. There's going to be a lot of false prophets and they're going to deceive a lot of people. Jesus again points out that people will be deceived through false prophets. Let me say this to you. In the days that we live, we live in an incredible time. Information is right at your fingertips. Siri, you know, what did you see? Some guy was like trapped under a car or something and Siri saved him. Did you see that? Something fell on him, and he's laying under there, and Siri comes to the rescue. In the information age in which we live, in the time in which we live, I think it's going to be easy in the time in which we live for people to become deceived. It's going to be easy because here's the thing. You can't believe everything you read or hear preached in the name of Christ on the Internet, on TV, or on the radio. Be careful. And here's the thing. We're not, those of you who know me, we don't spend our time tearing other people down. We don't spend our time focusing on other people and criticizing other people. That's not what we're saying. But the word of God says that in the last days, one of the signs of the Lord's soon return is that there's going to be a lot of false prophets rise up and they're going to deceive a lot of people. If I would say, hey, there's going to be a lot of bees when you walk out the door and they're going to sting a lot of people. Probably some of you would think about walking out the door when you walked out. You would, you know, you would somehow want to protect yourself from that. In the same way with false prophets, how do I know that? Not because I have to watch all of them or listen to all of them or read all of them. We know that because the Bible tells us that many false prophets and teachers will arise and they'll lead many astray. As I said, we live in a unique day. The media and internet has made things possible that were unimaginable years ago. Someone can spend all day sitting in their basement, their concrete basement, in their underwear, smoking a joint, on the internet, expounding on the things of God to thousands, to tens of thousands of people. The internet has made it possible that people who no one would ever hear of or know, and there's no way of understanding their lifestyle or where they come from or their background, they can just put stuff out there and people are like, oh, wow some kind of incredible secret that we've never heard before. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Someone wrote, they said this, they said the gospel was never intended to be preached within a void of relationship between the preacher and the listener. I'd never heard someone say that before. And the person went on to say, when you're in an ongoing relationship with people, they will know if you practice what you preach, the gospel flows out of your lifestyle or the way your life validates what you say. It's incredible. You have a person who's on TV, a minister on TV, preaching to thousands and tens of thousands and millions of people. And they find them dead in a hotel room of a drug overdose with prostitutes and stuff. And you're like, like, really? Isn't there a little more understanding? Isn't there a little more discernment in the body of Christ? You have ministers who are visiting male prostitutes. Now, I just want to be honest with you. If you're visiting male prostitutes, you got a problem, okay? If you're visiting female prostitutes, you got a problem there too. But if you're visiting male prostitutes and doing crack and stuff like that, you have a spiritual problem. You should not be preaching the gospel. However, you will find they will have thousands of followers preaching the gospel, and then they find out that they're visiting male prostitutes and doing crack and stuff like that. And that's, wow, where's the discernment in the body of Christ? There should be something in your spirit that just there's a check. I get amazed at how many people, how easily people are deceived. Paul writes about it. It was like, I don't want to go into all that Paul says, but Paul talks about, Paul willingly served the people and gave of himself to love them and to train them and teach them, but they were enthralled by the super apostles, the people who would take advantage of them and use them up. They didn't want to hear Paul's teachings. They didn't want to come under his authority, but they would easily, they didn't want to support the ministry, which he gave to them freely, but they were easily enthralled by the superstar. Okay, the super apostles. And Paul writes about that. And we see that taking place in our world today. You're going to see in the last days, you're going to see an increase of false prophets that are going to rise up. And they're going to teach things that are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. And they are going to lead many astray. And so you and I need to be aware of that. Don't follow every teaching and every wind of doctrine. Don't follow what the crowd is doing. If it goes away from this word, if it violates this word, it's not of God, okay? It's vital for you and I to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to warn us. And there may be some speaker or there may be some writer that everybody's like, oh, oh, wow, they're so great. Oh, did you hear? You might have a check in your spirit. You may think that you're unspiritual. It may be that the Lord is simply warning you. It may be that the Lord is producing in you a sense of discernment concerning what's taking place. So don't be surprised by that. The one person who I read wrote this, says the point is if we are less likely to be deceived when we're in relationship together with Christ and one another, 
One of the neat things is, is whenever you can see that person's life, one of the things is anybody can come in and put on a show for 15 minutes. Anyone can come in and wows and dows you. That's so very easy. Don't be deceived by those things, the scripture says. The sixth thing is wickedness. Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. Because of the increase of what? What's going to happen? Who? Most. It says because of the increase of wickedness in the last days. Now, who is saying this? Did I make this up? I may have had something to do with writing these notes here. I didn't write this. I didn't write that. Jesus says that. Out of his mouth, he speaks it. And he says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, and other versions will say, the love of many will do what? It'll grow cold. Because of the culture, because of the atmosphere of wickedness that is spreading, it's going to impact the love of many people, unless they are on their guard, okay? Unless they are watching violence, crime, and the disregard for God's law will increase as we continue to get closer to the days of Christ's return. Things we see happening right now in our communities are a sign that the coming of the Lord is near. When I was a kid, if you got in trouble in school, what happened? What's the saying? If you get in trouble at school, what? You're in trouble at home. Now, in our society today, and we don't understand how these small things, these little shifts in people's opinions and the way they see things. Now, if a kid gets in trouble at school, mom and dad go in and argue with the teacher. If you got a paddling at school, you got a paddling at home. If you got in trouble at school, mom and dad, they didn't go and fight the teacher and say that it's all the teacher's fault. If you got in trouble on the bus, you got in trouble at home. If you got in trouble in Sunday school, you got in trouble at home. Now our society says that our kids cannot do any wrong. If they got in trouble in school, then it's obviously somebody else's fault. We see that playing out too in our cities. For some reason, people want to make it a racial thing. It's not a racial thing. It's the spirit of the air that's taking place now. In our cities now, the police are the ones. The police are the ones who are the bad guys. It doesn't matter that they run down the street and shoot at each other. The poli- it's, somehow it's the police officer's fault. And so what we have is you're going to see this. In the last days, you're going to see lawlessness. Now, here's the thing. When someone does something wrong, if it's a police officer that does something wrong, they need to be judged for that. They need to be corrected for that. They need to be disciplined for that. But if you're robbing banks, if you're fighting with police officers... If you're pointing a gun at a police officer, I'm going to tell you what, he's liable to shoot you. I would encourage you, teach your kids that. Tell your son, tell your daughter, if you fight with the police, he might bust your mouth up. If you steal from people, you might get in trouble. So it's very important for us to understand that in the last days, there's going to be this lawlessness. There's going to be this stuff that's out of control. There's going to be this corruption that takes place And and there's going to be corruption in the police. And there's going to be corruption in in all kinds of places. And so in the midst of that, there's going to be corruption in the family. And in the midst of that, for many, their love is going to grow cold. They're going to be impacted by that. Don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous of parents, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending, slanderers, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, rudeness, bloated windbags, addicted to lust 
and allergic to God. Do you hear that? Addicted to lust and allergic to God. They'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. Stay clear of these people. The Message Bible says that. Things can and will go from bad to worse. Don't be discouraged. It's a sign that Christ is soon coming. The seventh one is found in our final verse in Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom, listen to this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Missionaries have been preaching this for centuries. And it's happening. The gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached all over the world. God's word is being preached in places where it's never gone. It's gone into dark places. It's gone into desert places. It's gone into places where Satan has ruled and reigned. And everywhere the gospel goes, everywhere the gospel goes, the light comes on in those places. When I was in graduate school, we did a reading on how the gospel, whenever they preach the gospel, when they preach Jesus Christ, and when they talk about the empowerment of his spirit, in people's lives, what you find is places that were in poverty begin to come out of poverty. Education, when the gospel goes somewhere, they find that education systems begin to sprout up. Places where people were illiterate, places where people were uneducated, they begin to develop schools. Places where there was few hospitals or poor medical conditions or places where the hygiene was non-existent or without sewage systems and things like that, the infrastructure of the companies where people didn't have jobs. Everywhere the gospel goes, it brings a light. And it doesn't just affect people's souls and save their souls. That's where it starts. But when Jesus saves someone's souls, he also teaches them that it's important to work. He also teaches them it's important to teach their children and to raise their children in the proper way. And you find that where the gospel goes, the light comes. And the days in which we're living, the gospel is being preached. We live in this tension between the imminent return of Jesus Christ and the delay of his coming. That tension is going to be broken by the suddenness of his return. And until that day comes, until that day comes, And as long as you and I have breath, let's preach the gospel to everyone that we come in contact with. You may not do it behind a pulpit with a microphone. You may do it sitting across the table with a cup of coffee at lunchtime. You may not even use your words. It may be through your lifestyle that people look at you and they say, how come you're at peace in the midst of this situation? Why is it that you seem not to be rattled by what's taking place? I notice that there's something different about you and your family. You and I are able to preach the gospel sometimes without even opening our mouths. But I want to encourage you to open your mouth and let people hear. Jesus has given us signs to point to his coming. There's going to be deception, worldwide birth pains. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be a falling away. There's going to be false prophets. There's going to be wickedness. But my friend, when you see these things begin to take place, don't get discouraged. Don't lose heart. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your heads. Because the word of God says that your redemption and my redemption draweth nigh. Father, we pray today that you would set a fire in our hearts of the soon return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we know it's going to be a one-time event. 
It's going to be an event to end all events. It's going to be an incredible thing taking place. And it's been the hope. It's been the hope of the church throughout centuries. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of hardships, in the midst of lack and difficulties, people have longed for the coming of the Lord. I pray, God, that we would not become so comfortable here in this life, in our homes, and in our convenient jobs and convenient lifestyle, that we lose track of the fact that Jesus is coming and he's searching out people who are far from him. Your word says, God, that you're not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to a place of repentance. And so I pray today, Father, that you would move upon the hearts of your church and awaken us from our slumber. Don't let me be sleeping, but let me be awake Let me be energized. Let me be expecting and telling everybody that I know that the Lord is coming for his church and he's coming for a glorious church that's without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. God, may it not be something that creates fear in our hearts because we know that we have been made right with you because of the blood of Jesus. But may it be something that creates enthusiasm and excitement, and anticipation in our hearts. Because one day we're going to see you, Lord. Now be glorified, Lord. And Father, I pray that your word would change us and accomplish the purposes for which you sent it. And I ask this in Jesus' name.